Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here today at Solace Church. If you're a guest visiting with us, man, we're glad that you're here. This is a new series we're starting today called The Missional Church. And uh, you came at a really, really important and pivotal time if you showed up today for your first time. Uh, And I'll share with you why that's the case in just a moment. If you're watching online today at solacechurch.com, thank you for being a part of our online community this morning. Um, Church, this this is a really important Sunday to be at Solace Church. Uh, We are 12 years old as a church, and I've shared this with you many, many times before, but the first 10 years of our church's existence was about growing the church numerically, and that's not going away. We believe God's called us to be a church of thousands, and I would love for us to have three and four and five and six and 10 services, whatever it takes to continue to reach people and to see people come to this very campus. We wanna see that over and over and over again. But, but as we enter into year 12, we're really two years into a shift. And today, that shift will become really, really clear uh, if you weren't aware of it previously. And so the Missional Church series is a defining series for our church as we move forward. Um, I'll unpack that in some depth today. But I want you to know that this whole series is basically one message over three weeks. So today will feel a little bit incomplete in the information I think you're looking for. Because today we're going to learn about what and why, and over the next two weeks after that, we're going to learn about how we're actually going to accomplish what we believe God's called us to do, all right? So um, uh, let's go on a journey together, so don't miss the next three weeks. They're all important weeks as as we understand what it means to be missional. Um, It's very interesting, and this wasn't planned, and we didn't know that this would all unfold in this timing, but it's very interesting that today is the 15th anniversary of 9-11, I know where I was when the, when the news broke. I was at my house at Spencer Road Free Will Baptist Church. My wife and I lived in the parsonage. Um, and that morning I got up. We, our plan that day was to, was to spread pea gravel over a playground. That's what we were going to do at the church that day. Um, and I turned on the news and the first plane had hit the tower. I knew it was a significant event. I remember that morning, my wife had stayed home from work. She wasn't feeling great. I went to get her out of bed. I said, hey, you need to come and check this out. And she actually spent most of the day watching the news coverage. Um, I, I, I saw the first plane hit. I knew it was significant. Um, I remember going to work that day, and we actually did. I don't know why we did this, but we spread pea gravel all day long out there in the playground. I listened on a radio to the events unfold, and by the time I had gotten home, man, you know, it was just one of those days that, that was just sobering and overwhelming to try to process. And my guess is you know what you were doing that day and where you were. Some of you in the room um, may, not have, may not remember that far back because you were so little, um, but um, incredible day. Think about what took place September 11th. There were people who were in, in, in this incredible moment of need. They were, they were, they were affected by the, the plane uh, flying into the World Trade Center or at the Pentagon. And some incredible people, we call them heroes, firefighters and first responders and just common citizens ran into, in the face of danger, at their own risk and to their own peril, some, many of them, ran into that environment to try to help people who are going through the worst moment of their entire existence. Think about what that takes. Think about how selfless it is to get outside of yourself and say, I'm going into this incredible place of need and offer all the assistance that I can. I I think that that, in terms of the church, is a very good parallel to what we mean by saying we want to be missional. 
We're saying that we want to be the kind of people that when a difficult situation arises, when people are going through the worst moments of their life, that we don't run away from them, we run towards them. We meet them where they are to our own risk, to our own expense, and we go into that scenario. Now, it's certainly different in many, many ways. I mean, the magnitude of the, of the, of the risk associated with what took place on September 11th it doesn't necessarily compare, compare one to one. But the heart, the mentality, the mind, we go in. That's a powerful picture. And so, I want to spend the next couple of minutes helping us understand what it looks like to go. Um, We have spent the first 10 years, as I said, being an attractional church. And we were unashamedly committed to that. We believed with all of our heart that God was growing us to be a church of thousands. And we believed that we we were on point and absolutely committed to that process. As we enter into this next 10 years, our focus is going to shift, not away from... Uh, growing the church in terms of numbers. We want to see God add to the church daily those who are being saved. But we want to now step into this next season where we leverage, if you will, all that God has entrusted to us now to go out into the community to make a significant difference. The community, the nation, and the world. If you were here a few months ago, I gave you a little about what 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 we were talking about or what we're going to unpack in more detail today. It was the week that Stand in the Gap was, was, uh, was here with us and we partnered with them um, and we said we want to be a part of, of, of Stand in the Gap ministry so that our people are mobilized to go out and take care of those who are transitioning from prisons, those who are, uh, who are considered orphans without parents, uh, and, and the elderly as well and the widows. I don't know if you were here, but, but that Sunday I spoke about this idea of missional. And do you remember what I said? I said that if you're married to a ministry, an event, a philosophy, that this is going to be really hard to go through this transition. Do you remember me saying that? Well, one of the things that's coming true right now in terms of an event that we're looking at not doing this year um, is a result of this emphasis of being a missional church. We've had an event that we've done every single year almost from the very beginning. It was called Trunk or Treat, and now it's called Boobash. Many of you have been to that event, you served at that event, and I'm thankful for the investment that you have made. We have spent tens of thousands of dollars making an investment into that. And this year, we're not going to do boobash or trunk or treat. And the reason why is because that event has run its course in terms of the emphasis. And we're going to be shifting our emphasis away from that kind of attractional event to a different event. It doesn't mean we're not going to mobilize the church, just the opposite. We're just going to mobilize the church in a different way. And so this year we're not going to do boobash, but we will be sharing with you about some other really cool things that we have on the horizon in the weeks to come. All right? So what do we mean when we say that Solace Church is going to be focusing on being a missional church? I think it's important that I define for you what missional church actually means. If you were to try to come up with a working definition of missional church, here's here's a pretty good definition. A missional church is a community of Christ followers that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission to the world. Okay? Now, that's a little bit lengthy, so let me just give it to you in a practical sense. God's mission is to seek and save those who are lost. He is the good shepherd that goes and finds the lost sheep. He is the one who came to to heal the broken, to mend up the broken, right? He is this savior who not just saves us from our sins, that's a critical part of this, but he is the one who by his stripes we can be healed, right? And God's mission on earth is to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. This is the emphasis in scripture. 
He comes to care for not those who say they're well, but for those who recognize that they're sick. He's the great physician. And, and, and Jesus, when he left, he entrusted the church with this very mission. And so we are, in a sense, Jesus to the world. We are God's agent to accomplish God's mission in the world. And so this is what being a missional church means, that we organize ourselves in such a way that we actually live this out in our daily lives. All right, now, I think it's important that I sell you on this, not in some, like, you know, car salesman sense, although nothing wrong with car salesmen. You're wonderful people. But in terms of a biblical case, what does Scripture have to say about this? What is, does, does Scripture support the idea of going out, not just asking people to come in? Nothing wrong with saying come and see, but what does Scripture have to say about the church going out? Well, I think there's one great person we should look to, namely Jesus himself, to help us understand what it looks like to live out this idea of being an agent of going out. So in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives us a glimpse into all of our futures, Every one of us, collectively, into our future. Jesus says in Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is his second coming. He came the first time veiled. Next time he's going to come unveiled in his full glory. And all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. So capture this picture for a moment. Jesus comes, his second, second coming. He's going to sit on his throne to judge. What will judgment look like? Verse number 32. All the nations will be gathered. That includes the United States of America and every single person in the United States of America. That includes you and me. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Stop for a moment. Spoiler alert. You want to be a sheep, not a goat. I'm just saying. All right. Now, he's going to say something powerful. Everyone in the room, I hope you're hearing this. Notice what he says, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. Jesus is going to say to those on his right, the sheep, I have prepared a place for you and now you receive all the fullness of it on this very day. All right now, teaser. After the missional series, I'm going to do a series on the book of Revelation called Life After Life. We're going to talk about what it looks like in the days leading up to the return of Christ and we're going to talk about what it looks like to be in heaven forever. If after that series, you are still bored with the idea of heaven, I have failed you miserably. Heaven will be anything but boring. As a matter of fact, it will be everything good that you've ever experienced on this earth maximized exponentially. We'll unpack it for you. On that day, this is what Jesus is going to say to the sheep. Now, why is he going to say this? Verse 35. What is he going to say to them? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Is that a weird transition? Like, you, my people, those of you who are on my right, those of you who received the inheritance planned and purposed before the creation of the world, you get to experience all this. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. That, that's the transition? Yeah, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger 
and you invited me in. He goes on to say, I needed some clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you you came to visit me. (laughs) Now, Jesus tells us on that day, the righteous will be confused. This is what they'll ask, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Verse 38. When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And then verse 39, when do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Great question. Then Jesus answers. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me. On judgment day, What Jesus is going to talk about is how I fed and and provided clothes and invited a stranger in and when I went to the prison to visit. That's what we're going to talk about on that day? Wow. Now, don't miss what Jesus is not saying here or don't miss a critical picture of salvation. Jesus is not creating a works-based salvation. What he's saying is, this is what sheep do. This is how they live their life. This is how they conduct their lives. Jesus builds the case for the idea that the church, those who are Christ's followers, don't just say, hey, come and see what God's doing at Saul's church, as great as that is. Jesus builds the case that people at Saul's church don't just check in on Saul's church on Facebook. By the way, if you haven't checked in at Saul's church on Facebook, go ahead and do that. No, right now, get your phones out, check in at Saul's church. That's perfectly fine, right? I want you to. Jesus said they, they go, and they feed, and they clothe, and they provide. Do you, see, do you see what the emphasis here? There's an emphasis on material provision, a holistic, material, physical word, world provision. Powerful. Now, this is what it looks like to be the missional church. We go and do these kinds of things. The question that has to follow then is this, if you're writing things down. What does that mean for me personally? What does that mean for me personally? If this is the gospel, what does that mean as a Christ follower? If you're writing things down, this is the most important thing you're going to write down all day long. Here it is. That means that in the model of the gospel, every person is a minister. Many people get to say, oh, you got to come hear that pastor. He is a great pastor. He is an incredible pastor. He preaches great message. Come to Solace and hear that guy preach, which you all do, and I know, and I love it so much. you got to come hear that band, man. They are good. They, they're not performers, man. They're leading in worship, and you can feel God's presence there. you got to come to that. And their kids' ministry, man, that is great. And the cafe serves Starbucks. Oh, my goodness. You can drink a Starbucks and listen to a great message and get great music. Where else can you get that? In the missional model, you look inwardly and you say, I'm not going to wait on the worship pastor. I'm not going to wait on the kids' ministry. I'm going and meeting the need. In this model, um, if we're not careful, it can become overwhelming when someone first hears this idea. 
A couple of different things, I think, probably goes through the minds of an individual who thinks, I'm the minister? I mean, Matt, I thought Matt was the minister, the pastor. He said, no, I'm the minister? Yeah, yeah, you're the minister. What does that look like? Well, a couple of things that I know may be going on in your mind. Number one, you might be thinking, this is very uncomfortable. And number two, you might be thinking, what do I have to offer? I think one of the lies of, of, of the enemy is that you are not enough for God to use effectively. That you're not smart enough or talented enough or experienced enough or gifted enough or resourced enough to be able to make a difference. And I just would say to you that that is an absolute lie. That every single person in Scripture is called to be a part of the kingdom in some capacity. You're the minister, not just me. I love what um, Matthew Barnett says. Matthew Barnett wrote a book called The Church That Never Sleeps. If you've never read the book, read it. Matthew Barnett's the pastor of a church in Los Angeles that started the Dream Center. Have you heard of the Dream Center? The Dream Center now is, and it continues to grow and change, but it's in like a, like a, I don't know, 10, 15 story old hospital that they retrofitted and renovated to be able to do outreach ministries through their church. It is incredible. The Church That Never Sleeps. They have like 200 different ministries that flow through this, this, uh, this building in any given week. They minister to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I mean, it is skid row ministry, my friend. Read the book, The Church That Never Sleeps. In that book, Matthew Barnett speaks to every single person who's ever wondered, do I have enough and can I actually do this? And this is what he says. If you think that you have nothing to give, if you feel that you have no talent, just give of yourself. Lay down your life for another Give all of your hopes and dreams to make life better for people and watch what God will do in your life. He goes on to say this. You don't have to be highly educated, talented, or charming to do something for God. Just be available. That's so good. Just be available. Now, here's what I know. If someone is going to be available, some things in their life may have to adjust and change. If you're writing things down, write this down. My entire pattern of living may have to change when I become the minister. My entire pattern of living may have to change when I embrace the role of a minister. Now, let me unpack what that looks like very practically in your world and in my world. If our church is going to embrace this going out mentality, it's very likely that my schedule and your schedule is going to have to change. How I plan my day and my week and my month and my year may look different moving forward as I embrace the fact that I am a minister. If your schedule right now is so full that, full that there is no time and no margin to be able to be used by God in some of these outreach opportunities, the missional church is going to be difficult for you. Until you come to terms with creating some margin in your schedule to be able to do this, this is going to be very, very, very difficult to do, right? Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack for you the opportunities, the how, the, the, the ways in which our church will live out this missional idea. The refuge, which is our outreach center, the orphanage, disaster relief team, stand in the gap, and many, many other different things. You're going to hear all the details coming forward, all right? So a Saturday may not be sitting in front of the TV watching college football. Who wants to watch it this year anyway? Is there any reason to keep watching? I think every Oklahoma team is lost, and so that's pretty much it, right? What if it looks like going to the refuge on a Saturday and mentoring a young student who's struggling in school or caring for someone who's sick and may not have insurance or 
praying with someone who has just gone through a terrible situation in their family, right? My schedule changes. It very well may affect my finances as well, how I spend and how I give. If every single dollar God has entrusted to you financially, if every single dollar is already spent and there's no margin for God to use that, then the missional church model is going to be really hard for you because missional is expensive. It's costly financially. It requires a financial investment into someone else's life or some other avenue or conduit that affects other people's life in order for the missional church to actually work. If giving is difficult for you in terms of the kingdom, the missional church will be difficult for you as well. You'll feel very uncomfortable at Solace Church. The way I spend and the way I give may have to change. Also, my mindset, how I think about the world. Jesus looks across the crowds and his heart is broken. Why? Because he sees them as, as, as sheep without a shepherd. And he longs to gather them underneath his wings so that he might protect them. How does he see the world? Not in race, not in religion, not in gender, not in some subset in a community. He sees people who are harassed and helpless who need help. That's how he sees them. This is the mindset of the missional church. We're not going to group people into categories. We are going to see people the way the Father sees them, which is those who are in need, regardless of whatever other uh, 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 tag they want to be associated with or the world may associate them with. We're going to see them as Jesus sees them. Now, I want to show you in Scripture that this is exactly what the Christ follower is called to do. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 lays this case out perfectly for us. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. (laughs) We're not sinners and cowboys. We're not the rich and the poor. We're not male nor female. We, we see as, not from a worldly point of view, we see from a godly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Isn't that great? I mean, that's the great news of the gospel. I no longer have to be my old self. I get to be a new creation in Christ. Verse 18, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus, or through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if you tuned out before, tune back in, because this is the missional responsibility. Notice what Paul says. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, everything Jesus did here on earth in terms of doing the will of the Father, he has now committed to us, the church. He's handed off the ministry of reconciliation to us. Verse 20, if you're underlining anything or writing anything down, we are therefore Christ's ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. Would you change this last word to me? As though God were making this appeal through me. That is, I am the avenue, the conduit by which God wants to tell the world he loves them and he longs to see them restored. How do you do that? You feed hungry people. Give them some water. You take them in and clothe them. You see a stranger, you welcome them. You see someone in prison, (laughs) as much as you want to verbally beat them up, 
and say, why in the world are you in prison? You go visit them. Gosh, it's the gospel. Now, um, I'm, I'm asking you and you and you. I know you just wanted to come to church today because it was September and it was nice and beautiful and you were thinking, man, <laughs> afternoon, this is going to be great. I'm going to go play golf. And you showed up and you're like, oh man, I got all this responsibility now. Thanks a lot. I'm asking you, every single one of you, us, to own it. God's making his appeal through you and through me. And we're going to go out into this world and we are going to meet people where they are, just like Jesus did, and we are going to love them where they are and we're going to offer hope. And I want you to come with me on that journey. Now, here's the thing. It's a big responsibility. And, and just in, in conclusion this morning, because there's a whole lot more to unpack over the next couple of weeks, I, I, want us to, I, I want us to understand that, that this mindset will, will hopefully produce in us a different heart as well. And I would actually say, number four, this is critical. Because if my heart is not changed then I will go reluctantly and begrudgingly because Matt told me to go. But if my heart is changed and I see people as Jesus saw them, then my heart will, my mind, if my mind is changed because I see them as Jesus, then my heart will change as well. I love what Matthew Barnett says in his book, The Church Change That Takes Place. Notice what he says. In talking about embracing this idea of being missional, something special happened. My heart was knitted to the people. I left my world and I put myself in their world. I ate what they ate. I worked among them. I visited their homes day and night and I learned their culture. I love what he goes on to say in this book. Too often in the church, we expect people to come to our world. We build an establishment and then we expect folks to come to our party. I've learned, he says, that to reach your community, you have to put yourself in another man's world. That's exactly what the missional church does. Put ourselves in someone else's world. So we're going to do this. And I'm going to show you how over the next few weeks. But I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of our... I want to give you a quick list. What should my expectations be as I begin to walk in this, as I begin to embrace this, as I begin to own this as my own reality? What are my expectations finally? All right, here we go. You're going to love them. Number one, we're not going to solve poverty. It's really encouraging, right? You are ready for something big and you're like... That's the answer. No, it needs to be the starting point because when you get fired up about something and the church takes on this incredible new piece of ministry, you begin to think we're going to go conquer the world, right? And all of Oakhurst and all of Sand Springs and Berry Hill will immediately be eradicated of poverty. Not going to happen. Right? Jesus already promised us that poverty will exist in this world until he comes back. So poverty will exist regardless back. So poverty will exist regardless of all the time and attention and effort that we put in. There's still going to be poor in the world. It's just a reality of the world we live in. We're not going to solve all the problems. And also, secondly, we will not be able to help everyone. As you go out and you interact with people and, as you, and you get a chance to engage with people in their brokenness, what you're going to find is some people are going to resist the help that you're offering. 
Some people will flat out reject the help that we are going to try to provide. There'll be orphans that say no to an orphanage. There'll be people who say no to financial help and relational help and spiritual help and, uh, and, and uh, uh, skill training help. They're going to say no. We're not going to help everyone, but we will help someone. There's going to be a child. Their whole world is going to change because of your investment. There's going to be an orphan that we take care of in an orphanage and he's going to grow up or she's going to grow up with a wholly different outlook about life because we rescued them from that brokenness. There's going to be a a husband and wife who come into a refuge, a local outreach, and they're going to be broken. They're going to be addicted to all kinds of stuff and they're going to walk into that and we're going to love them where they are and they're going to be freed from that and they're going to be different because you made an investment in their life. We're going to help somebody. But I'll also say this to you. This is going to be difficult. You're invading enemy territory when you do this. The missional church takes light into darkness and darkness does not want to respond to the light. It will be difficult. It will be painful, it will be expensive, and it will be difficult. And yes, I'm asking you to do it. Yes, I'm asking us to do it. It'll be difficult also. (laughs) There's gonna be some setbacks. This, everything is not going to work perfect. There's going to be some things fall through. There's going to be some things we try to do and it not be successful. There's going to be some setbacks along the way. Also, there's going to be a huge learning curve. I want you guys to give us a little bit of slack as we go through this program or this process, all right? When we started the church 12 years ago. We were brand new in my parents' living room. There was 13 of us and we didn't know how to do church and I didn't know how to preach very well and we didn't know how to worship very well and we didn't know how to do kids' ministry very well. We had to learn all that kind of stuff along the way. We had great talent, but we had to learn how to do church. And here we go again on this new adventure and we're gonna have to learn how to do missional and there'll be a learning curve attached to that and that's okay, I'm okay with that. But here's my commitment to you. Lastly, we will be successful. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we will be successful. God has called us to this. He has purposed our church for this very thing. And as difficult as this is going to be, we're going to make a significant difference in our community. We're going to make a significant difference in the lives of many many hundreds and even thousands of people because you own the fact that you're a minister and so am I. One last thing before I pray. At Solace Church, we're going to begin to measure things a little bit differently. Every single week at Solace Church, I don't know if you guys pay attention to the pre-slides that that scroll before service, but every single week we put up our attendance number and our offering number. Do you guys notice that? All right, truth be told, some of you, you'd be upset if we took that away. You'd be like, what's the problem? They don't have to say how big they are anymore. They don't want to tell us how much money we're taking up anymore. What's the deal with that church, right? All right, those have been two critical gauges that we've measured uh, in terms of success. Is our church growing numerically? And how are we doing in terms of financing the ministry that God's called us to do? Right? Not, not a, they're, not, they're not bad gauges. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers, right? It's not a bad thing to number. <laughs> But our measuring system is going to shift a bit. Our success indicators are going, to succeed, are, going to, are, going to, are going to change just a bit. You know one of the new ones? How many people are we mobilizing to go out and live out their kingdom call? I like that. So, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn how. But today, it's all about our heart in preparation for what God's calling us to do. So I want you to bow your heads and... Just pray with me for a moment. 
Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at SolidChurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast. 